everyone. It's Dr. Rachel Taylor here. And I wish I could say I'm happy to be joining you, but obviously this is a weird time for all of us, to say the least. And last night at around 6 o'clock, I recorded a, an impromptu podcast, and I'm trying not to obsessively listen to it or edit it. We, we haven't, and I've, I've asked a few people if we thought it would be helpful to put it out there. And even though we know there's some hiccups and some mistakes, that's not the point. The point right now is to put something out that could possibly help everyone and really in particular help everyone with the incredible amount of anxiety that I know we're all feeling right now. And a while back, Kaba had been working on a podcast and released several episodes, and those were all focused on helping people that were training to become registered behavior technicians. And in particular, we had launched a plan that involves us putting out a large electronic platform, including a comprehensive training for people that work across ages and diagnoses and webinars and CEs and all the above. And we hadn't really revisited whether or not we were going to expand upon the podcast. And like us all right now, we're stomping and looking at our current activities and refocusing. And number one, making sure that we're supporting our staff at CABA, the Center for Applied Behavior Analysis, to feel safe and protected in supporting those who were fortunate enough to support. And in that process, we've all noticed that right now what's important is for us to come together and do everything that we can to try to provide some type of support for our own psychological well-being. And again, this was an impromptu podcast. I, I, I did it right after I received the text that we were further putting restrictions in place in the state of California due to the coronavirus. And and it's an emotional one, and uh, there's definitely some parts that if I were to do it again, I, I would clean up a bit. But from the little feedback that we've gotten, I've been told that this might be helpful. So my main request is to please make sure you let us know your feedback. And if there's anything that I touched on that you would like me to talk about a little bit more, please let me know. And I'm sending my love to everybody. And again, we need to take a step back. And the only way that we can help others is to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves. And this is just one little intro into doing that from a very emotional moment for me. Uh, but again, hopefully it gives some tips, especially near the end, that will help all of us navigate these next steps. Thanks, everybody. just received a text notification that the governor has put further restrictions to curb the spread of the coronavirus. And I'm sure like many of you, I'm just standing here staring at this text on my phone, just taking a moment and, and trying to focus on, I don't know what, right? This feels completely out of control. And I had been debating for a while whether or not to revisit this letter that I had written last May. And I don't know if this is going to be helpful. And I just, I hope you guys will be kind enough to tell me if it's not and, and do it in a nice way. But if it is helpful, I also hope you'll reach out and let me know as well, because it, it's helped me and I've shared it with a few others over the last several months. And I'm thinking it's uh, way more uh, on point now than ever before, but... So that text just came in. Why did I think about something that happened to me last May? Because last May I wrote a letter and I titled it uh, How Surviving Natural Disasters Made Me a Behavior Analyst. 
And I don't know who I was writing the letter to. I, I wrote it after getting back from Chicago. I was at the ABAI convention and uh, my husband and I went to the Chicago Art Institute, uh, a place that I've gone to since I was a, a little girl. And it's one of my favorite places in the world. And uh, suddenly you hear this binging going on throughout the large empty hallways and, and you realize the phone's vibrating in your pocket. And you know, I took mine out and it was like you know, hundreds of people and you see everyone just kind of stop and look at their phone and it was the tornado warning. And uh, it was ended up being fine. Everyone was fine. But when I got home, I wrote a letter about it because when I was standing there, I suddenly smelled fire. And, and there wasn't any fire at all. Uh, you know, we could hear some faint sirens in the background. And again, the ding of the texts and the notifications and everyone kind of having that awkward silence and then the thunder and, you know, trying not to rush towards the door. But uh, I smelled fire. And uh, on reflection, when I got back, I realized that's interesting I just six months earlier had been evacuated from my home for 16 days due to the Wolsey fire. And it was an incredibly intense experience, uh, especially because for the first three days, we really did sit glued to a TV uh, in a hotel watching the news and wondering if we had lost our house. And it was a completely uh, reasonable thing to wonder. We uh, lost, I think, about 50 within a mile radius of our home. And we were actually watching the news when the fire jumped the highway that usually protects our neighborhood. And the person on camera didn't realize what was happening behind her and was saying just that. Well, this is the good news is that fire has never crossed. And then behind her it crossed and it was like, whoa. And anyway, it, there was a range of emotions uh, being evacuated for 16 days with a, with a toddler and a teenager and, uh, and it included Thanksgiving and my father had passed away the year earlier. So this was a, a very weird kind of moment of recognizing how events and holidays and everything that's going around us influences our behavior based on our history and our past. And when I say my behavior, I mean my thoughts, feelings, and emotions. And, and that's what I was writing in this letter. I was saying it's really fascinating that in a moment of getting a text that changes everything, I was suddenly brought back to smelling fire. And why was that? Because the morning that we got evacuated, I woke up, I was making my coffee, and I got a text from my ex-husband's wife. Uh, and it was in the middle of the night, and I had missed it. And it said, we're being evacuated due to the Woolsey fire. And then right when I was reading that, the next text popped in that said, I, I think you guys need to go. And then I opened my front door and noticed the entire cul-de-sac and people were shuffling bags into their cars and trying to get their pets together. And everyone's kind of nervously looking at each other, trying to remain calm. And, and it was scary. And we had the experience, if you saw it in the news, of being trapped on Pacific Coast Highway and seeing the fire barreling down and my, you know, four-year-old in the back and he had turned four the night before so when we evacuated we had left like all of his party streamers and everything it was very creepy to come back to a half a month later in a community that had just gone through a crisis and the point of the letter and I'm going to do it to you guys right now was that it suddenly made me get really concerned that we think that applied behavior analysis ABA is solely defined based on the consequences to our behavior and the antecedents, right? I mean, if you think about it, you say, okay, we have an entire science of helping humans that's based on what happens right after they do something and right before they do something, and that's that. If we say it that way, I'm, I'm not surprised that people think we're some like 
reward and aversive based like approach and like this behavior modification thing, right? That's that's not it, right? There's this dude named Pavlov that was really important. Don't get me wrong, Skinner was really important. Three-term contingency, four-term contingency. Thank you, Jack Michael. Important, all important. But all behavior is going on all the time, again, including my thoughts, feelings, and emotions. And all of that behavior is both respondent and operant. Some people call it involuntary and voluntary. If, if we like this topic and I geek it out next time, I'll tell you why I don't like those terms. We're going to go with respondent and operant. And I'm going to make us all stop and think about meat and bells. I know, I know. I said this in my letter that I know the first time you say respondent conditioning and Pavlov, everyone's like, oh, no. And they're just trying to memorize, oh, it's USCR, CRCS. And, like, and they're just coming up with like memorization tactics and like flashcards so that you can pass the test, right? Can we stop for a second? And I, I'm, I'm going to ask you all to take a moment with me and recognize why that is such a powerful, powerful aspect of that which defines human behavior. There was a dude who noticed that when meat was presented to a dog, the dog would salivate, right? Makes sense. Not surprising. Salivation is a quote-unquote natural reaction for survival, right? You have to salivate so that you can consume the food. It is a survival response. Cool. We got that. He suddenly had an idea like, well, I wonder if like that type of natural reaction, involuntary response would happen to something benign, right? Or neutral like a bell. So he went ahead and rang a bell and measured if salivation happened. And shocker, no salivation, right? Obviously not shocking because a bell has nothing to do with our survival, right? What was his next thought? His next thought was, okay, well, what'll happen if I pair them both at the same time and I do it again and again and again and again? And that's what he did, okay? He waved, there's a dog, right? He did meat bell, salivate, meat bell, salivate, meat bell, salivate, meat bell. You guys get the point, get the point. I know we're all tired right now. Sorry if I am dragging certain parts of the story out. You don't get to see all my hand talking when we do a podcast. Then what did he do? He stopped and he said, hang on. Let me take away the meat. I'm going to wait a little bit of time. And now I'm going to present the bell. And what happened? The dog salivated. In other words, he changed the meaning of that bell, if you want to look at it that way, right? Now a dog that had a response that reliably occurred for survival is now responding in the presence of a new, what was a neutral stimulus, right? But now it is conditioned and now is responding in a survival mode to something that has nothing to do with survival. Think about that. That is, that is, that is an underlying factor to all of our behavior, including our thoughts, feelings, emotions at all times. And it's a really big thing to recognize, right? I always give the example of when I teach it in undergrad or graduate school of of war veterans, right? And I, I always say, okay, let's say there's a soldier, he's in a brigade and it's, it's crazy and it's going down and there is gunfire and people are scared and they're screaming and no one knows what to do. And this guy has a partner and through it all, every day that guy wakes up and he says, howdy. And the weeks go on and the month and days go on. And again, awful, horrible war. And his, the guy dies, everyone dies, let's say. I'm sorry, I'm being dramatic, but I'm doing it on purpose because I want you to imagine this soldier comes home. Months later, he goes to the movies, an afternoon matinee, maybe with his girlfriend, right? He walks up to the ticket counter and he says, two tickets, please. And the guy says, no problem and howdy. What happens in that moment to that soldier? What does he feel? Does he hear gunshots? Does he smell the fire? That's what happened to me. And you know what? The fact that I know 
that my body, my entire body, my thoughts, feelings, emotions, and my physiology are influenced by my environment. And that's what I mean when we say behavior is a function of its environment. And I know that ultimately this is tied back to the fact that I was born to survive. I'm actually cool with it, right? I mean, don't get me wrong, that obviously, if you think it through, it goes haywire, right? Okay, and then suddenly we're, we're salivating to bells, okay, metaphorically speaking. But like, seriously, that is what happens. But if I stop and recognize that that is a process that I know about from a scientific perspective called respondent conditioning, what can happen in that moment instead of me panicking and screaming fire like I could have in a packed museum full of people, I am instead thinking, oh, okay, cool. I am a product of my environment. I am a product of respondent and operant conditioning and the fact that I understand that which defines the foundation of behavior analysis, that I understand the processes. I, I can handle this moment better, right? I can, I can handle it way better. And it happened to me a moment ago when I got that text, right? And it's happening to all of us right now. And I'm, and I'm trying to orient my team members to that. I said it during our first Zoom meeting, emergency Saturday meeting. I'm sure many of you guys have been in those, right? It was me and my, my dozen BCBAs, and we're all awkwardly staring at each other on Zoom screens. We don't do Zoom meetings. We have never to this point. We have weekly in-person meetings. And, you know, I said to them at the call, I said, guys, you have to recognize that all of the stimulus relations are really messed up for us right now, Right? So we all are constantly responding to that which is in our environment. And relatively speaking, those things are relatively consistent. I don't know why I said relatively, relatively. Just stay with me, guys. Again, it's a long day for all of us, right? But meaning those things are pretty consistent, right? Part of why vacation is so awesome, it's not just that you get a break from work. It's that the smells are different. The sounds are different. The air feels different. Your whole body is responding differently, right? Of course it is. It's not, it doesn't come into contact with those stimuli as much. And I said to my team, I said, guys, I just totally conditioned the heck out of your living rooms. Your boss just entered your homes. Like everything from this moment is going to be different now, right? They just had me with my LA Rams hat on. Yes, forgive me. I was, I'm can't come on, give me a break. Born in the seventies, LA, I'm allowed to wear it. Have my hat on. I'm sitting on my bed and I look like a hot mess because I have been in these types of meetings now for over two weeks. So I do have a unique experience in that I was in a board position for the second largest conference in ABA in the world. And we had to cancel it. And we had to cancel it three hours before early registration opened. We had to cancel it the afternoon before I was going to introduce our opening invited address. And I've realized in the last week, which was a week after that happened for me, all right, it is now whatever date it is, I'm losing time like everyone is, but my conference was canceled on March 5th. I had actually been in those types of Zoom meetings that I'm sure many of you are experiencing right now for the entire week before. And I'm now watching my team members and I'm realizing I have to step back and recognize that we're all going to go through processes and phases right now. And I'm, it's, 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 a, it's a unique vantage point for me to be in, to have been going through it for so much longer. And I guess I'm only saying it to, to say I, I'm doing okay. And so I want to give you guys all hope that, it, that you're going to be okay. And I will admit that I have never flip-flopped in decisions as, and well, not formal decisions, I should clarify, when the decision made, decisions are made, but flip-flopped leading up to a decision as many as much as I have in the last two weeks. And I, I started to get really, really kind of uncomfortable about it and concerned about whether or not I'm an effective leader and if I can do this. 
And then when I stepped back and I honestly, I know it sounds dorky, but when I thought about behavior as a function of its environment and I thought about how jacked up the stimulus relations are right now, everything is different right now. All of the pairings that are going on. When I told that story and the letter that I was referencing earlier, my, I actually brought it back to doing an ABA session with a kid with autism that you have to recognize that behavior environment relations are going on all the time, whether you're aware of them or not. And yes, that includes both what we're doing before and after somebody behaves and vice versa, but it also includes all those stimulus-stimulus pairings. So in a session, you got to think about what perfume are you wearing? How, what are the lights like, right? All of these things are influencing our behavior. And right now, when we're coming into contact with the news being different and obviously now us being faced with different ways of needing to live right now and getting a text that says, I can't go to my bar. Just kidding. I don't go to the bar. I don't have time for that. But yes, guys, if you don't know, they did close the bars, you know, and they were reducing restaurants to 50% capacity in the state of California right now. And if you're over the age of 65, you're, you're home. And uh, that's scary. But if we all step back and recognize that it's also just a dramatic change in our environment and we all know what can happen to behavior and responding when there are unexpected dramatic changes in the environment and this is where taking a values-based approach to your own well-being is so important because you have to stop and say okay do I do I want to make a choice to go down the rabbit hole? Do I want to make a choice to to be terrified and to and you might and you might and I'm not trying to make this sound like a bad thing. I'm just being realistic. Like you you can look at it this way. It might be helpful. Meaning, do you want to make that choice or do you want to make the choice of trying to remain semi okay through all of this? Right, trying to yes, try to look at some silver linings and. More importantly, make sure that you aren't only breathing, but you're exhaling, right? And I know it involves both, but for some reason, when someone recently said to me, exhale, it was way more impactful than hearing breathe, which right there, that makes sense. I think my whole life, people have told me breathe in moments when I was not about to calm down, right? So I have a long history of that being an ineffective thing for me. And when someone threw out something new and told me to exhale, it actually worked. So I'm just giving you another example of just thinking about how we are responding to what's going on around us and it makes sense that we should feel completely out of control. It's completely new stimulus environment relations and it's important for us to stop and say, what do we value? What do we like? What do we prefer? And is there a way that we can take baby steps towards making choices to do more of that versus things that we ultimately know we don't want to consume us? So I hope that's helpful. I hope any of this made sense. And uh, I will do it like I did the old podcast and I'll listen to this whole thing. And if it seems helpful, I'll put it out there and I will slap on a little intro for you guys. And if there's any errors in what I said, although this is not like some training podcast, I don't know what I'm doing. There you go. Did you see that? That still means control. I went to end, so I just went back to my usual spiel. But all right, everybody, I look forward to trying to figure out ways to continue to help. And uh, I'm sending my love to everyone and hang in there, guys. We're in it together.